We're going to James chapter 5 this morning again, our tenth time around the circle on this one, and we are in verse number 11, working our way through this chapter. The chapter about dependence, if there's anything else I could call it, I think I might just put that up as a caption that goes with all that we're learning here today. We're all at different levels of learning dependence, aren't we? That's an interesting thing about the Christian life. You are required to depend upon the Lord. Yet you need to mature in that, to depend upon the Lord. There are some people who who think it's pretty complicated. And some people who seem to make it look easy. I was kind of uh, encouraged a little bit when it comes to technology the other day when I saw a video clip of two older teenagers trying to figure out a rotary phone. (laughs) It was so comical to watch them try to figure out what to do with that. And why there were so many holes in that dial. And it was just, it was funny to watch that. And actually it made me feel kind of good. Uh, because all the times we go into technology and we can't figure out that thing. How does that work? How do you turn this on? How do you make that work? And all this, and then you go back to what we're used to and they can't figure it out either. I guess all of us have our challenges tech- in the world of technology in one way or the other. And some of us are encouraged by that and some of us are discouraged by that. But, um, there's different ways, uh, things are done and, and yet the whole point to what I want to share with you spiritually is that for some, dependence is a very hard thing. And for some, they make it look easy, don't they? When we go into the book of James, we come to verse number 11, and it says this phrase, we count those blessed who endured. Now, it sounds like a very short comment to preach on this morning. But we have those we set up as Boy, are they special. (laughs) They endured. And we mark them out. We say we call them or count them as blessed. And it's in the midst of a paragraph that's talking about prophets. And especially the rest of verse number 11, which we're going to get to next week. The story of Job. There's fascinating things for us to learn here, and and yet I don't want to go quickly. I don't know if you've caught on to that yet. I'd like to just take our time that we learn the lesson well. Because this much I know about dependence. If there's nothing else I could express, it's this. You depend upon God as much as you know Him. All right? We are in the process of getting to know our Lord. That's what we're called to do, to know Him. The choir said that, even in their song, if you listen to the words, about the concept of resting on Him, because He is who? He is God. How well do we know Him? How much do we trust Him? Now, I give you all that because I think it's very important in this study, the examination of living faith, in James chapter 5, When I talk about activating living faith, we're not talking about just the fact that you're saved. We're talking about living out 
your salvation in a world like ours. And what that calls us to do. And the context is very important in chapter 5. I, I think of all chapters, this one can be confused more than any other. Because of all the different concepts that come from verse to verse to verse. And you say, where is he going? How does that relate to what he just said? And the confusion all mounts because it moves very quickly from thought to thought in 20 verses. And I think if we keep the concept of the context in front of us, and you're going to hear me repeat it so much, you're going to know it very well. Uh, it helps to anchor these verses in our understanding. All right, so bear with me as I repeat a few things as we go along. All right, because I think they're essential to understand the whole. Like this verse, verse number 11, we count those blessed who endured. It's right on the heels of verse 10, which we saw last week. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And we're trying to learn these lessons. So first, let's talk to our Lord. Heavenly Father, your word is open in front of us again. And we are very blessed to have it. To be able to read it in our language. To be able to comprehend it with our minds. And to believe it in our hearts. But there's sometimes, Lord, a hard place between the heart and the hand and the feet. And when it actually becomes activated, that we do what we hear. And I pray that you help us here this morning again as we go through this study to, to depend upon you like we should and live it out. Live it out with a living faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, back up just a little bit. Verse number 7, because 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, these are the verses that we're circling around here, where James says in verse number 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, patient about it until he gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those as blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and we have seen the out and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. We like that last phrase, don't we? We depend on that. The Lord is compassionate. He's full of mercy. But that doesn't say everything about our Lord. Because in the midst of the patience and the endurance and the compassion and the mercy and all the great things that we're addressing to ourselves, there's also those who are mistreating the brethren. That's our context. You see... Living faith will produce a reliance upon God. That's what it comes down to. Relying upon Him step by step. I think that's the key to the whole chapter, and you're going to see that developed as we go all the way through verse number 20. But we are called to those three things. 
We're called in the book of James to produce good works. Don't claim to have faith if you don't show it. All right? We are, we are called to produce self-control. And there's a lot of verses in the book of St. James that deals with that. But one specifically in verse number 8 in this context has to do with strengthening the heart. And in verse number 9, about stop complaining. Self-control. Now that's our little aspects of something even bigger. And that is trusting the Lord when you are being mistreated because of your faith. That's a bigger concept and the bigger context that we are looking at here too. But the third thing, besides producing works, producing self-control, is the production of reliance upon God. Trusting Him. Trusting Him. That's why before we're through with this chapter, it's going to be focused on prayer. Very interesting development. So, what is the issue? One more time, we could do this. The issue is that there is injustice. As chapter 5 begins... And James is pointing out to those who he's writing to, and they knew the story well, that there were some rich people who were apparently their employers who had abused them by refusing to pay their salary. And the rich were living it up. They were enjoying their lives. They were, as it says in several passages here, uh, they were uh, living in wanton pleasure. Verse number 5 They fattened their hearts, and yet the Lord was not deaf to the cries of his own. And he points that out, James does. He he brings that out, and he talks about the fact that these uh, rich employers in this context, in verse number 6, have condemned and put to death the righteous man. That's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? That's a hard context to work with. He says, but you, brethren, you did not resist him. Therefore, verse number 7 begins the instruction. What he tells them to do. Four commands. What's command number one? Be patient. Verse number 7. Be patient. Right now, as if you've never done it before, it's urgent. Be patient. Command number two was what? No. Be patient. (laughs) I said, wait a minute, verse number 8, how did that start? Be patient. He repeats it a second time, because you know that's one of our weaknesses. Got to hear it twice. Be patient. Once again, the same way. Be patient. Third one, I heard it. Strengthen your hearts. Verse number 8. Strengthen your hearts, as if that too is urgent. Do it right now. And then, verse number 9, is the fourth command. No one wants to say it, do they? Stop complaining. Stop complaining. Because the implications of that command is that you were. That's, we're saying, that's what they were doing, right? We're not like them. Uh, you know, all of those, all of those implies dependence. To be patient means that you trust the Lord to take care of the issue, right? Even though you don't have what you need, you trust Him for it. You trust Him with making it right. You trust Him with the work that He's done in the heart of the employer. Most of us, we would probably prefer that He does something that corrects Him. 
Is that a softer way of saying it? Uh, remember the Lord tells us in Scripture, vengeance is mine. Why did he have to say that to people like us? You know what we're prone to do. I'll solve this problem. I will figure this out. And we even sometimes figure out which imprecatory psalm we should pray right now. Lord, smash out their teeth. All right? Now you've got to go look for it, but not now. We say, okay, patience. The Lord reigns, doesn't he? The Lord's in charge, isn't he? The Lord knows, doesn't he? He cares. Yes. Be patient. But it's hard. It's hard. Be patient. That's why it's there. says it twice. Strengthen your heart. That, too, is an issue of dependence. Strengthen your heart how? You greet people like these folks do. That exercise, bouncing up and down when they shake each other's hands. Let's not go to the gym and strengthen your heart. That's not it. The Lord is the one who strengthens the heart. You have to trust Him in that too. That means you have to discipline yourself to get to know Him. That creates a stronger heart. The last one we saw in our list here was stop complaining. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. When we complain, as uh, Hebert wrote in his commentary, the inner feelings of dissatisfaction personal irritation, criticism, fault-finding, smoldering resentment, displays itself in an antagonistic expression of bitter groan. I say, okay. In this context, he said, verse number uh, 9, do not complain, brethren, against one another. It's somebody else that's hurting you, in this context, the employer was hurting them, but who did they take it out on? Their brothers and sisters in Christ. We're hurt by somebody, by somebody who's in a position to hurt us, and we retaliate to somebody who we are in a position to hurt. That's a terrible cycle. It's a terrible cycle. Usually somebody who's very close to us, it's, our brothers. James' audience here was hit with injustice. They were being unstable. That's why they're told strength in their heart. They were weak. They were wobbly. They were caught off guard. They were unable to respond in the right way. Instead of faith, they had fear. This is implied in the commands. They were unprepared. They were somewhat like hurt animals, I could imagine, as James is writing to them. He says, the they will even attack the ones who are there to help them. We know the Christian's uh, life is supposed to be believers love one another, right? Because this world will never give you that. That's why we share it with one another. Believers are told to be kind to one another because that is not what you're going to receive from this world. Believers are told to encourage one another. And it's kind of hard to encourage somebody who's biting off your hand. It's a difficult field, isn't it? So James is addressing these issues here. Trouble comes. We go to our default response. 
we respond with something that is not lovely, that is not kind, that is not encouraging, we complain. We complain. And so James strikes right at the heart of who we are. He talks about our hearts that need to be strong and our attitudes that need to change. All right. You feel convicted yet? Wow. This is, I'm just introducing the topic today. There's a lot to hear. What, what this concerns us as we read it about our, our Christian testimony, our own personal living faith. We can't help but put the microscope on ourselves and say, how am I doing, right? Compared to these things we're told to do. But here's the bigger picture. How does the world see us? If they're looking at us, what do they see? What do they see? It's our testimony. You say, boy, you're asking a lot. That's a lot of pressure. (laughs) It's hard. Because we get busy. We get tired. We get overwhelmed. uh, James says, okay, all right. So you do. Verse number 10. Let's talk about the prophets. (laughs) Now, compare yourself with them for a minute. Because we're supposed to take their example, right? We're supposed to take their example. I told you last week, that's a command. That's not an option for us. We're supposed to trace it out what they did. Look at their lives and compare. Because if we're going to learn this lesson, we have to see others who've done it, right? That always helps. So this is how you do it. Trace out the prophets and see, how did they act patiently? Did they? Did they act patiently when they were treated unjustly? Did they have strong hearts in the midst of very difficult circumstances? Did they complain? Ah, you say, I got you now, Pastor. Yes, they complained a lot. You know the story of Elijah? Good old Elijah. Wow, what a prophet he was. I think if he walked into this room, we'd all be nervous. He was powerful. Kind of a figure to me. I think if anybody Charlton Heston should have played, it was Elijah. That, that was a man of strength. We read about Elijah, his contest with the prophet of Baal. Uh, amazing story you could read in First Kings. The story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. One man single-handed, if you will, against 850 of these others. And before the day was done, he had killed every one of them. Wow. Standing up to Ahab, the king. And then, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, said, I'm going to kill him. And Elijah ran for his life. You say, wait a minute. There must be a misprint. There's patience for you. There's a man with a strong heart. There's a man who didn't complain, right? You want his words? 1 Kings 19, verse 4. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. 
He said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Said, Okay. Pick another example, right? All right. How about this prophet, Jonah? Jonah, was he a complainer? Oh, no. Do we need to use his example here, too? He was told to go to Nineveh and proclaim the message of the Lord, and he got on a boat that went the other way. You know what happened. But he eventually made it. The Lord took him there to Nineveh after all. He went and he proclaimed the message, and it was kind of, maybe he kind of thought it was a, a, a felt good for him to do it, because he kept walking around saying, the Lord's going to destroy you, the Lord's going to destroy you, the Lord's going to destroy you, and he probably felt pretty good about that. That's about all he said. He sat down to see it. Well, he was amazed. As he watched the scene down below, the king of Nineveh repented. His cabinet repented. His lords and leaders repented. His people repented. Why, they even put sackcloth on the animals. Now, that's a job. Try that this afternoon with your cows. They repented. Jonah was furious. Chapter 4 of that book is an amazing chapter. This man was mad at everything. He was mad at the sun. He was mad at a plant. He was mad at worms. He just was mad at everything. And God says, why are you mad? Jonah responds. He says in chapter 4, Jonah verse 2, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to foresaw this... I was trying to help you out, Lord. I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. I knew you were slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. I knew you would forgive them. What an incredible kind of prayer. I knew you would do that. Now therefore, O oh Lord, please Take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Wow! Do you think those are the two examples James meant? When he said, take the prophets, for example. How they were so patient. Were they? Read verse number 10 again. Suffering and patience. That's what it says. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, I'm going to suggest this. Before we go on and, and, you know, make these guys look like they were just, you know, the worst examples on the planet, put yourself in their sandals. Put yourself right there. What would you have done? How would you have lived in that day? Are they really that much different than you and me? Are they really that much different when they see wickedness in the world? And sometimes they feel, I've got to run. Or wickedness in a land, and they say, Lord, why don't you just wipe them off the face of the, of the globe? Are they, are they lacking something when they say, Lord, why were you compassionate when they needed your wrath? 
Have you ever wrestled with things like that before? Maybe not to the same degree, but have you not read articles in the paper and somebody had done something and you said, Lord, can't you just like annihilate them right now? Wouldn't that be nice? Has your heart ever gone down roads like that before? We said, that's not fair. That doesn't make sense. And have you ever stopped and looked at the fact that God is merciful with you and me? Even though we deserved His wrath. Sometimes I think we don't spend enough time contemplating the wrath of God. You may say, well, that's not a happy tune. No, it's not. But there are many lessons learned in studying the wrath of God. When you study the wrath of God, you come to appreciate even more the fact that He saved you. I want to read to you something this morning, and it's not going to be easy to listen to. I'll tell you that, just to say that as I begin. There was a man, and this is not what I'm reading yet, but there was a man back in the book of Genesis, his name was Enoch. We talk about Enoch in one great thing, right? That was one day he's walking along, and suddenly he wasn't. (laughs) For the Lord took him. And escorted him right into God's presence. And we say, wow, that's an amazing thing. Wouldn't that be kind of fun? But this is what Jude said that Enoch had to contend with. It was uh, Enoch who prophesied. And we didn't have that record in Genesis, but Job t- or Jude tells us that this is what he prophesied. Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they had done in an ungodly way, of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. What's the key word? Ungodly. Everything was ungodly when he proclaimed his message. He proclaimed wrath. Okay, you ready to hear what I want to read? But you have no choice. Here it comes. The wrath of God is his eternal detestation of all unrighteousness. It is the displeasure and indignation of divine equity against evil. It is the holiness of God stirred into activity against sin. It is the moving cause of that just sentence which he passed upon evildoers. God is angry against sin because it is rebelling against his authority. A wrong done to his inviolable sovereignty. Insurrectionist against God's government shall be made to know that God is the Lord. They shall be made to feel how great that majesty is which they despise. And how dreadful is that threatening wrath which they so little regarded. Not that God's anger is a malignant and malicious retaliation, inflicting injury just for the sake of it, or in return for injury received. No. While God will vindicate his dominion as a governor of the universe, he will not be vindictive. The wrath of God is a perfection of the divine character upon which we need to frequently meditate. First, 
that our hearts may be duly impressed by God's detestation of sin. We are ever prone to regard sin lightly, to gloss over its hideousness, to make excuses for it. But the more we study and ponder God's abhorrence of sin and His frightful vengeance upon it, it is more likely we are to realize its heinousness. Second, to beget a true fear in our souls for God. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 28-29 says. We cannot serve him acceptably unless there is due reverence for his awful majesty and godly fear of his righteous anger. And these are best promoted by frequent calling to mind that our God is a consuming fire. Third, to draw out our souls in fervent praise for having delivered us from the wrath to come. I read that paragraph to you this morning because These prophets proclaimed the message of God's wrath. I don't know about you, but how would you like that to be the theme of your ministry, where you had to go, who you had to talk to on a constant basis? (laughs) The prophets endured a great deal, didn't they? And we cite them and say, well, but they complained. As if that's some sort of sign of their great weakness and we're better than that. We don't take sin half as seriously. Maybe even not even a quarter as seriously as what they had to contend with and the people they had to deal with. That was the message God gave them, right? He told them to go and say it. I don't know what it's like to stand in their sandals, to tell the truth. Those were hard days. Hard days. But they had to do something you have to do, and that is depend upon God. They had to walk by faith every single day. They had to develop strong hearts. They had to be patient. They had to declare what is true. They had to live under injustice. They did suffer, didn't they? That's an incredible thing to call a human being to do. God has not hesitated to call us to be that way. He didn't look upon us and say, you know, you guys have a pretty tough life after all. So I'm not going to put anything upon you. Instead, he says, no. I want you first to look at their example. Look at their example. That's what he told us to do in this verse. What is it? Verse number 10. Look at their example. Trace it out. Follow it. And then he says, verse number 11, recount those blessed who endured. Recount those blessed who endured. Interesting word. That little word, endured. It's a compound word in the Greek language. One part of it means under, and the other part means to stay. To stay under. I have an image in my mind. I've told you this before and it's inevitable. I'm going to tell you other things I've told you before. 
But when I was a teenager, my dad was working in the church basement. He was putting up a some sort of a tank that went with a furnace. There's a boiler of some kind. I I was just there to hold things. Well, he wanted to mount the tank in between the floor, floor joists above us. Put a strap there to hold it up. And of course, you can't hold your drill and hold the screw and everything else you need to do and hold that weight at the same time. That's why I was there. I was to hold the tank up while he did the job. And I still hear his voice saying, don't let go. Don't let go. Everything from here to here had lost feeling. My, my arms are starting to quiver. And I'm holding this, and he says, don't let go. It seemed like it took him 12 weeks to put that thing up. I still had such a, I could smell the smells in the room. I could visualize it. I could feel it, even while I'm sitting here, or standing here talking to you. I remember that experience so well. I had no option but to stay under it. This word means there is no escape. There's no alternative route. There is nothing else to replace what needs to be done. This is what you're called to do. When it's talking about patience, there is not a second option. Right? When he's talking about strengthening your heart, there's not plan two. When he talks about don't complain, he meant it. Stay under it. We count those blessed who do that. The Lord counts them blessed who does that. That is what we have learned of our prophets. Yes, we heard their words. God says, put that down. I want them to see that. Write it down on that page so they hear what you just said. Would you like to be a prophet writing your own story? How many of us would want to change parts of it? Alter it a little bit. Make ourselves look a little better. Jonah had to write Jonah. Do you think he enjoyed that? Put it down. Write it down. Because these are people. People learning dependence too. You are not alone in what he's called you to do. The prophets had to learn it. Wait till you talk about Job next week. Most of us say, oh, I don't want to hear that story. You're going to hear the story. Because Job was living a world like ours. He had to learn it too. And I know sometimes we point out their imperfections... But what they're called to do is endure. And what we're called to do is endure. Stay under it. Stay under it. Let's learn from their example, folks. These who suffered under this. Even the folks of James Day who received this message. I'm going to assume that they read this letter from James and said, Okay, now we know what to do. And they responded well. I'm going to assume that because the rest of the story of the book of Acts, how many times do we read of the martyrs who went through terrible things? How many times do we read, like in Hebrews 10, that they willingly gave up their stuff 
their, their goods and their, their, even their lives in order to minister to the life of other people. Incredible stories from that first century of people who lived under difficult days because they were righteous. We learn from their example. Here's the thing. We hear it. We see it. And there's one more step we must do. Follow. That's what an example is for. You see it, you hear it, you follow it. And then, and then, you become the example. You become the example. Right now, today, you can start to be an example to somebody else. Who takes God's word seriously. Who says, okay, I'll live it. I'll live it. I'll do it. Because we need one more example. And that's you. One more example of how others can learn from God's Word and see it in action. Can't you do that? I hope so, because that's, that's the pool this morning of the application. It's like, what do we do with this? We're not just here to talk about how bad it was for them. I understand. It's not easy. That's true. Endurance is very difficult. <laughs> it's very difficult, yet... It is expected. We have to stay in our place. We have to keep our example. Even if it seems at times we're alone, do it. The reality is, you're not alone. Who's with you always? Isn't the Lord with you? Didn't He promise that? Yes. Okay. Quitting is not the option. It's not the option. Let me ask you this. Just get down to something real personal. You can talk about this with the Lord. How? How, Lord, do I put this into practice? How do I do this? You talk about men, women who live by faith. How? I feel more like at times that one man who came to Jesus and he told him to trust him and he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's very honest. He just stated it for what it is. How do we do this? I go back to point number one. Depend. Depend upon God. And the more you know Him, the more you will trust Him. Depend upon Him. That's what's woven throughout all these things. Because you pray to somebody you trust. You walk in his, the example, because you trust him. You live in this wicked world and do the Christian thing because you trust him. There's a lot of things to learn. Yes, you're called to works. Yes, you're called to self-control. But yes, you're called to reliance upon him. There's no option. There's no other route I have to offer you here. It's living faith. It's called living faith. Okay, so there it is. Pounced on you once again, didn't I? Pounced on myself. But I think it's a good time for us to talk to the Lord about these things, huh? Your situation might be entirely different from mine, but we're both called to walk by faith. Right? Let's talk to him about that. Heavenly Father, you know us very well, inside and out, and there is nothing we can hide from you right now. Not in what we're experiencing, 
Not in our responses, not in our thoughts, not in our words. There's nothing hidden from your sight. And that's not meant to scare us as much as it probably does. But it's to remind us that our God cares so much about us. Every single part you pay attention to. And every single part you care that they be brought into compliance with our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose image you are making us. Lord, the process sometimes is hard. You know that. Sometimes the issues of faith are hard. Sometimes dependence is hard. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes the opposition seems so overwhelming. You didn't call us to compare ourselves to any of those. You called us to compare ourselves to the prophets who've lived it out before us as examples. And you call us today to live it out, that we might be examples to others. There's much for us to learn and much for us to do. And if we don't do it with you, if we don't do it for you, then it doesn't count at all. And so I come this morning, just myself and maybe many others in this room, asking the Lord for you to give us, again, a glimpse of who you are and how great you are. That we might trust you more. That we might walk your way. In a world like ours, it's desperately needed. Do your work in our lives, personally, strengthening us, granting to us the things of patience, and endurance, that we may stop our complaining, that we might turn things to praise, praising our Father for what He has done in our lives and through us in the world around us. Help us to be folks who live by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.